to say 12 to 20 more months is going to be a Nevada expansion. We love the demographics of Nevada. It's a real growing state with good middle class. We manage 600,000 clients a year through our two dispensaries. Oh man. It's 27 cash registers. It's a machine. So you just think of it that if you take Cureleaf, who's done just a phenomenal job, they focused on owning Florida. We're in a good position. Nobody else wants to own Nevada. We like where we sit. From MJ Bulls Media, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today at Raising Cannabis Capital, we are joined by Bruce McDonald, the chairman of C21 Investments. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. I'm anxious to learn more about C21 Investments, particularly your business model. But before we get into that, I want to give our listeners just like a little background about C21. It's a, it's a vertically integrated ecosystem of cannabis businesses trading on the Canadian Stock Exchange under ticker CXI. And now in preparing for today's show, it looks like you acquire companies in similar geographic regions and then implement practices and policies and leverage economies of scale to make the entire enterprise more profitable. I know those are really broad strokes, but is that roughly your business model? That's how we started then. And we ended up with about five different properties, four in Oregon and one in Nevada. And we have ultimately worked strategically to roll up our assets, as you said, in Oregon into a a single operation out of Bend now. But the real cash cow of C21 is the Nevada asset we bought. It's an absolute gem. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, when you said you bought it, did you purchase it 100% or did you take an equity position in the company? We Bought it 100% on terms, if you will. So Sonny Newman was actually the first operator to open in Nevada. And we bought Silver Straight Relief, which was his dispensary. And and just as we bought it, he opened a second dispensary. So we're currently two very large dispensaries, about 17 million in revenues and very efficient, 7 million of EBITDA each. Uh, So, (laughs) oh no, it's, I said, it's a beast. And we paid for it mainly in cash on the installment plan. I think we're down to 14 million that we still owe Sonny, but uh, we've got 30 more months that we're paying them over. And that's very affordable based on the the money this thing spends. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Good for you. But now the other companies, 100% owners or you're- 100% owners. And I said, we've consolidated down under the, the Phantom Farms brand. We have- uh, a farm that generates about 3,000 pounds of outdoor. We're purely wholesale when you talk okay. about Oregon, but they said probably 85% of our re- revenues are Nevada. So it's a lot of work. And this has gone from a bit of a go-go business where you went out and you staked claims and you tried to get in the game as an early mover. Our strategy has very much shifted from that to a measured sort of long game approach, doing it right. Well, and yet it's the evolution of any industry, but I know like you're in a number of different verticals. I think you're cultivating, you just mentioned retailing. Is there any particular vertical that you're focusing more on? I would actually probably answer that as it's the sum of the parts. It's the Mm -hmm. secret sauce. The seed to sale 
means you are in control of your own destiny. As we stare at our strategy and our value proposition, I think from a strategy perspective, first thing is what we talked about, which is you got to get your house in order. You need to run an efficient and profitable business to build a scalable model. Otherwise, what are you going to scale? We've just gone through what I would call the second phase of our medium-term strategy, which is around the fortifying of our balance sheet. We did a really unique transaction around our debentures to ensure that we were in a position well capitalized and we termed out our debt so that everything was in good shape. But the focus from there very much is around an organic build of the back end where you can grow more capacity. And then it's more of an M&A approach, a limited license state. You're buying someone's business from somebody to add dispensaries to our program. And I think when you look at that fourth step, cost of capital is absolutely critical in getting it right. Yeah. And and I think just taking a step back, you, we can't cross state lines. So you have to really have the seed to sale within each state. You do. And, and I think that's why, as we think, like, how do we best strategically grow? The logic of owning your home market is just the way to go. Now, we didn't start off that way. We were throwing darts all over the board. We looked at 100 different companies. How do we get in California? Yeah. You spread yourself thin, you're going to die for the reason you just said. You've got to be end to end. But we're currently about 5% of Nevada. And so I think our focus in the medium term is going to be about owning our state, which to me means a 15% share. So we've got lots of room to do that. And then we get all the leverage benefits of we've already got the grow capacity. And so yeah. we don't have to reinvent that and double down on cost. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I did see, though, that you are looking at California and Colorado. Is that? You know what? I will keep one eye open, but <laughs> we're not going to turn our head. This is for the medium term, which I'm going to say 12 to 24 months is going to be a Nevada expansion. We okay. love the demographics of Nevada. It's a real growing state with good middle class. We manage 600,000 clients a year through our two dispensaries. Oh, so man. It's 27 cash registers. It's a machine. So That's you okay. just think about that. If you take Cureleaf, who's done just a phenomenal job, they focused on owning Florida. We're in a good position. Nobody else wants to own Nevada. We like where we sit. What kind of companies would you be looking for? How does somebody get on your radar? I think there's a lot of answers to that question, but you have to choose your client segment. You got to decide who you want to be. Our focus has very much been sort of catering to the local crowd. Sunny placed his dispensaries on the right roads where the commuter traffic goes. We weren't the let's chase the strip, let's go do Vegas. So like the first part of our sort of value proposition was really defining who do we want to target. And so we built a business around locals. We're not allergic to tourists, obviously, but we spend all our time doing uh, sort of what I would call cost optimization. Sonny's background was in the automotive electronics business, delivering stuff for car manufacturers. You're probably running a 7% gross margin. Mm -hmm. And that just gets you in a mindset where you reinvent yourself every day. How do we cut costs? How do we make this cheaper? That gives you the ability to price effectively. And I think we are the best price in the state with our goal being to be able to put that price tag on the product and still make our margin. Yeah. You mentioned it's Sonny a couple of times. That's Sonny Newman. He was, who's the CEO of your company. That's correct. 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 A lot of our listeners were invested quite heavily in the publicly traded cannabis market and kind of, kind of got beat up, but I'm looking at your stock 
for the last six months. And I'm saying, what the heck? This company's stock has more than tripled over that period of time. What do you attribute this massive growth to? You know what? I think it is having a concise plan and just operating the plan. At the end of the day, we are really lucky. We just announced earnings yesterday, but we announced that for the quarter, we managed to generate 2.3 million of net income. So that's earnings. That means we're actually earnings positive for the year now. Beacon Securities just came out and, and ranked us number one in free cash flow in the sector and number three in operating cash flow in the sector out of the 21 stocks they follow. And that includes all the big guys. So we're a little bit of the little engine that could, but when you really start to stare at it, yes, we've moved up on the back of the earnings. But when if you go back uh, a week, we were a $100 million market cap company where you were earning 10% after-tax earnings on that $100 million. So we were making $10 million. Like it's just, yeah. it's cheap. And so what do I attribute it to? Our story isn't fully understood. And I don't want to pull you off beast here, but we announced two, two weeks ago that we were expanding our cultivation facility. And it's funny, right? You put an announcement out and you say, we're building out 40,000 new square feet. It's going to be 7,500 pounds of flour. And you watch and you're like, do people actually understand what this means? And you get the feeling like, no, they don't. Like, you know, like what's 7,500 pounds of flour worth? Well, it's worth $17 million. What's that going to cost to produce? Well, it's already in our warehouse. We're already paying rent, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to cost us $6 million to build it out once. But our operating expenses are going to be about $2 million. So there's a lot left over for the shareholder. It goes back to if everything you did was because of the shareholders cheer and it goes up or it goes down, you'd do a lot of wrong things. But we know that $15 million of pre-tax, everyone will thank us for down the road. So it's been that mindset over and over again that the long game we play is put your shareholder hat on, what's good for the shareholder, we take a little bit of noise in the markets because sometimes we don't communicate enough because we can't, but we're playing our long game and we're going to win. That's, that's, those are some impressive numbers. Good for you. Congratulations. See, that is just good news. It's good news all the way around for the entire industry. Before I let you go, I want to ask you more about the long game. <laughs> you got to be careful about what you say, but looking forward, what do you see over the next few years for this company? I'm kind of sad. We worked hard in 2020 to generate some significant cash flow. We're tracking towards something around $11 million, which is a big number. And we have some friends in state that have a billion dollar companies that are doing the same number. But this is fantastic for someone of our size. But really, I think what's critical is we make our decisions through that sort of cash flow and earnings lens. And especially when you talk about the people that got burned, there were so many decisions where it was through a hype and flash type lens or a grow at any cost, even though the sum of the parts will never work. That won't ever be us. And we're going to be opportunistic with respect to acquisitions anywhere, but we're going to, this whole thing of let's dominate our home market somewhere where we have a proven track record and we're going to own that market. And that discipline, I think, is what really is driving our results. I mean, one of the interesting things is I think we are getting noticed. The work we did around uh, backstopping our debentures was with Wasatch Capital and uh, Jason Wilde and JWAM and, and CB1 Capital. And those are three of the smartest brains that are putting real money into this sector. That helped us in lots of ways. We had certainty on our balance sheet, but it, it lets people know that there must be value here because those guys didn't just give us money on a whim. One other thing I want to touch on that we thought was absolutely critical in our growth is the MSOs, the new multi-state operator ETF that's come out uh, about Labor Day and is 
worked their way to 180 million of assets in uh, whatever that is, three short months. We're one of the 16 plant touching companies in their index. And that has been, again, a credibility thing. We were the little engine that could. We were a secret and not a lot of people knew our name, but we're doing our game. I don't know that I really answered your question in where to from here, but I think the answer is in the form of sort of a roll-up play. We're going to mature this organic grow and deliver this value to shareholders. But most importantly, that positions us with the seed part of the seed to sale. So the natural thing to do will be figure out how to expand and add dispensaries at the right price. That is some good stuff. That was some really good stuff. I'll have all the links to, to C21 in the show notes. So if anybody is interested in learning more, check out their stock symbol. It's going to be in the show notes. Also, if you're a company in Nevada, you, know, you never know. <laughs> I'm sure somebody from Bruce's team would be happy to speak with you. But Bruce, I wish we had longer. This is good stuff. Let's definitely plan to have you back on again. I'd love it, Dan. And by the way, CXXIF as well on the QB. We have ways in for Americans and Canadians. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. We'll definitely have that in the show notes in case you missed it. But Bruce, thanks again. Look forward to coming back. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we break, break it all down. down.